Good morning. This morning's text comes to us from the Gospel according to John, uh, the 12th chapter, verses 12 through 19. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had been given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so the title of this morning's sermon, Palm Sunday Sermon, is Remember. Remember. You know, one of my favorite radio personalities is the late Paul Hervey. I loved his The Rest of the Story stories. You would say, you know what the news is. Now you're about to hear the rest of the story. I can't do his voice or accent, but I'd like to share with you one of his stories. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night, until his death in 1973, he would return walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man, and he would feed them from his bucket. You see, many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission on a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran da dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The largest raft was nine by five, the biggest shark, ten feet long. But of all their enemy at sea, one proved most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water, and it would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, uh, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, he read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. 
Now, this is still Captain Rickenbacker talking. Something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. Everyone else knew, too. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat brim, without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at the gull. That gull meant food, if I could catch her. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, had offered itself as a sacrifice. Now you know Captain Eddie made it. Now you also know that he never forgot because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent. His bucket filled with shrimp was to feed the gulls to remember that one which on a long day past gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. Now you know the rest of the story. You know, uh, many people wondered why this old man wasted his time and money by feeding the seagulls every Friday. People felt sorry for him. They just figured he had nothing better to do. Now, I lived for five years in Malibu, California, while going to school at Pepperdine. And never once did I look at a seagull as anything other than a nuisance. They are dirty. They eat garbage. I even saw one eat a dead rat. They left a mess on the piers. They left a mess on the beaches, on your cars, and yes, sometimes even on me. I tell you what, if you've ever been a target of, dro of the droppings of a seagull, you know how revolting these scavenging birds are. I never met anyone who even remotely considered seagulls in a good light. So on that eastern Florida coast, whenever people saw an old man scrunched up feeding the seagulls with shrimp, well, people just thought he was going senile. But this old man never forgot. He never forgot how God had heard his prayer for deliverance. He never forgot how one lone seagull gave its life for him and his crew. He never forgot how the sacrifice meant the world to him. He would always remember. The gospel writer John tells us that there was a great crowd gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But it wasn't just the Passover they were there for. You see, Jesus was there. And by now, the crowds had heard how Jesus had called Lazarus out of the tomb. The man had been dead for four days. And the dead guy came walking out. And this is no resuscitation. This man had become one with the earth. And he came out of the tomb, worms and all. So the crowds gathered with great anticipation in Jerusalem for the Passover. But mostly, it was because they wanted to see this Jesus. 
They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Jesus. They shouted out, Hosanna, which means save us, we beseech thee. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, they shouted. You see, palm branches, ever since the Maccabean period, about 150 years prior to the days of Jesus, palm branches were symbols of national triumph and victory. The palm branches served as a reminder of the victory that the Maccabeans had won for the Israelites over their conquerors. And for just a brief moment in the history of Israel, Israel was free from nations that had occupied their land for centuries. First the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, then the Romans. The crowd had gathered to greet Jesus because they saw him as their national hero. Jesus would finally be the one who would free them from their oppressors, the Romans. They had hoped that Jesus would reinstate the Davidic monarchy and make Israel great again. Wait, I think there's a political slogan like that, but I digress. The Pharisees' worst fears had proven to be true. The Pharisees said to one another, You see, look at the crowds. We can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The people had no idea what a precious gift Jesus would indeed give them and the rest of humankind for all of eternity. They had no idea what kind of salvation they were beseeching. They were only thinking in human terms. They had no idea how radical a revolution would indeed take place right before their eyes. The crowd had gathered to greet a political hero, but Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. A donkey. You know, it should have been a triumphant white horse. Didn't Jesus watch any spaghetti westerns? Doesn't he know that the hero always makes an entrance on a white horse? Donkeys were symbols of humility. Donkeys were the modes of transportation for the common man. Every curly Joe and Mo had a donkey. And the disciples didn't understand these things at first either. The disciples saw what everyone else saw. The crowds greet Jesus with palm branches, and Jesus responds by sitting on a donkey. But the meaning of these events would elude them until they were able to look back from the perspective of the cross and the empty tomb. Only the glorification of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of the empty tomb did they remember and recall the kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming. From the perspective of the resurrection, they remember back to Palm Sunday when Jesus entered the city of David on a donkey. And now they understood that the kingdom Jesus was talking about was not to conquer Rome, but to conquer sin and death. The gospel writer John tells us that the life and the ministry of Jesus assumed their final shape only when we look back at his life and teaching from the cross and the empty tomb. Take away the cross and the resurrection 
And Jesus is only one of many failed leaders who challenged the mighty Roman Empire only to fail. The cross of Jesus reminds us that each of us are more wicked and sinful than we dare hope. But the empty tomb of Jesus reminds us that we are more precious to God than anything else in the universe. For when God thought of spending an eternity without you in it, he sent his son to take our place, to rise again from the dead, because an eternity without you is not worth living. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. For they shout, I love you. I want to close with a story from Chicken Soup for the Soul. A little boy invited his mother to attend his elementary school's first teacher-parent conference. To the little boy's dismay, she said she would go. This would be the first time that his classmates and teachers would meet his mother, and he was embarrassed. Although she was a beautiful woman, there was a severe scar that covered nearly the entire right side of her face. The boy never wanted to talk about how she got the scar. At the conference, the people were impressed by the kindness and the natural beauty of his mom despite the scar. But the little boy was still embarrassed and hid himself from everyone. He did, however, get within an earshot of the conversation between his mom and teacher. Oh, the scar, the mom said. When the son was a baby, he was in a room that caught on fire. Everyone was too afraid to go in because the fire was out of control, so I, I ran in. And as I was running toward his crib, I saw a beam coming, out of, uh, coming down, and I placed myself over him to shield him. I was knocked unconscious, but fortunately a fireman came in and saved the both of us. And she touched the scar on her face again and said, this scar is permanent, but to this day, I have never regretted doing what I did. At this point, the little boy came running out to his mom. He hugged her and felt an overwhelming sense of the sacrifice that his mom made for him. You know, that scar never looked the same to him from that day. In fact, he had never seen such a beautiful scar in all his life. The cross. The empty tomb. You see, until the empty tomb, the cross was a horrific instrument of torture and death. Wearing a cross on your body would have been akin to wearing an electric chair. There was nothing pretty about it. It was simply a horrific instrument of torture and death until, until the empty tomb. And from that moment on, that horrific instrument of torture and death would become for all of us the symbol of the greatest sacrifice and of the greatest love. Remember. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. They are shouting, I love you.
Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks. Man, what can we say? What can we do in view of such an amazing sacrifice? Oh God, we so easily take for granted your amazing sacrifice. So forgive us. Oh God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for this holy week. Thank you for the victory you've won for each of us. Lord, and we want to shout back at you. We love you too. Friends, if you've never had an opportunity to receive Jesus and his incredible sacrifice for you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've got to do that. Each of us must make a personal decision to choose to follow Christ and to receive Jesus. And so I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you're watching, and if you've never received Jesus, this is how you do it. You say in your own words, Jesus, forgive my sins. I receive you as Lord. And now I want to live my life following you. If you've said that prayer, welcome to the family of faith. We would love to walk this journey of faith with you. Hey, God, for the rest of us who have already made this decision, oh, God, thank you for this reminder on this Palm Sunday. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. For they remind us in this scary, anxious world that the God of the universe declares, I love you. So thank you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen.